This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Greetings, Bill Mobley for Compassion Beyond Borders, a series where we have an opportunity to talk to really outstanding leaders across the world and to ask them how they're dealing with the current situation, whether it's social unrest or the pandemic or some combination of those. And, and the, this gives us an opportunity to learn from people who are really in the middle of very difficult situations, how they're challenged and how they're meeting those challenges. And today we have another absolutely terrific guest. I'm joined today by my uh, co-host, Robin Smith, who will interview with me, uh, our, our distinguished guest. So Robin, uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and then introduce the guest, if you will. Fantastic. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. And obviously, this is such a critical time to bring people together through these kinds of, of webinars. And um, I'm a physician, but also um, really have been an advocate and philanthropist uh, focusing on building bridges between people to advance human health globally. And we're so honored today to have Princess Tina married with us. Um, you know, she's, you know, such an incredible person, and there's going to be so much to talk about. But just to give a little brief background for those who, who um, are not aware of the princess, she's a global leader and an advocate for cancer control and non-communicable diseases, and also has a personal story as a mother of a cancer survivor. As Director General of the King Hassan Cancer Foundation in Jordan over a 15-year period, not only created one of the most successful fundraisers for cancer, but you've really created an international brand. And as an honorary chairperson of the Jordan Breast Cancer Program, you've been known to affect cancer, not just from uh, sort of the genetic things that happened to us, but the environment and you've really fought against tobacco. You've served in so many high profile international positions and received many awards, including the prestigious International Agency Research on Cancer, Medal of Honor, the Personality of the Year in 2016 in the Fight Against Breast Cancer, Female of the Year Award of 2017, which is the Golden Award for Excellency by Arab Women Council, and Arab Women Award 2018 for Achievement in the Global Leadership in Cancer Control. So clearly, you've really had an influence on so many women and really becoming um, advocates of their own health and, and focusing on prevention. In this time of social isolation with COVID, maybe we could start there and you could talk a little bit about what you hope to see in the world and, and what message you'd like to send. Uh, thank you so much, Robin, for hosting me at this wonderful program. And I think that's, you know, it shows what a wonderful um, step in communicating uh, with other people. And that's really fantastic. So nobody feels that they're forgotten or left behind. So thank you for that. Um, when you talk about social isolation, and, you know, the question uh, that you asked was what gives me hope um, in a world of social isolation? I think it's very important to um, really be truthful to ourselves that in a way, we, we think we are now socially isolated physically that we can't see, you know, travel and physically visit each other and so on. But actually, the COVID-19 pandemic has shown us that we have been really 
truly socially isolated for some time, even before the coronavirus, in the sense that we've been for some time so busy with our lives. We, we are, uh, you know, busy with so many things, yet at the same time, we don't stop and think and take stock of what's important, right? Many of us, I think, during the crisis, you know, the, the first thing we said, you know, we started to sit together as family, having lunch together, bonding with our children, um, taking it easy, you know, when before we were like robots, right? Busy doing so many things and yet really isolated. We were in a bubble, so to speak, thinking about our needs, ourselves. I think the whole world, we were busy also with commercial, right? With commercialization, um, not really taking time to remind ourselves of what's really important. So in a way, yes, we are physically, socially isolated now, but I think the COVID-19 has in a way shaken us all up and said, look, calm down, take a step back, remember what's important and, and um, really just um, think about others as well. We were so busy before, you know, we were in that machine and now, and in a way, yes, at a tragic cost, of course, with the COVID-19, but I think what my hope is that, you know, which is exactly what the coronavirus did, it has, you know, we were blind, uh, some of us, with, uh, you know, about the needs of others and the, in a way the miseries, the daily miseries that are um, faced by many people all over the world, that it has in a way unblinded us. And, and in a way, when I always say, um, in a way the coronavirus requested us to wear masks, but ironically it has unmasked so many uh, uncomfortable truths. And that's my hope is that we um, continue to uh, re continue to be reminded of what's important, continue to remember others who are in desperate need, uh, and, and, and continue to um, think of what we can do towards helping others. That's what I'm thinking. Princess, it's great to hear those words. This is a program that's sponsored by the Sanford Institute for Empathy and Compassion, and, and the Institute hopes to understand how the brain really makes it possible to empathize and be compassionate and also how to teach people to become more effective. So your comments are very helpful because now I think what you're saying is that now we have a chance to understand that wherever you're from, whatever economic strata, whatever country, whatever uh, culture, this virus affects you just as severely. And so now, in a way, the virus opens up our chance to see the pain in others and to reach out to them. That's exactly what I'm saying. And I actually, um, yeah, I think before the virus, like I said, we've been busy with our own world, all of us. And in a way, you know, what we've experienced now, people have, you know, Poor people, people in low middle income countries, the kind of that that kind of excessive worry and uncertainty, uh, you know, that has been the daily lot of those people all over the world. Poor people all over the world, minorities, uh, you know, uh, they're certainly in the cancer world, you know, when 
as we speak now, we have, uh, for example, a child in a developed uh, country uh, has a 90% chance for a cure. As we speak today, even before the virus, that same child with the same disease in Africa or in another low middle income country has, if lucky, 10% chance of a cure. So yes, so the virus in a way um, unblinded us and un unmasked those truths and made us fear the same worry and uncertainty um, and reminded us that, you know, we're all in this planet together. And uh, even if you think that you are immune from certain things, you know what? These viruses, they cross borders and they can create the same havoc. Uh, so you have to take care of your neighbor uh, to be able to also feel safe. Um, so this is what uh, I felt that the coronavirus did. When you talk about particular advice to people, people are home and, and you've always been a proponent of how you can sort of be empowered for your own health. What do you tell people they should be doing? Yeah, first of all, I think, and I think, you know, if you're thinking about mental health as well, is that mental and, well, health is actually mental health and physical health, both together. Um, I think, first of all, I really feel you need to be grateful and to count your blessings. I know this is like, you know, what our grandmothers have been telling us all along, but it's true. If you are grateful and you count your blessings, uh, that's one. But the most important thing for mental uh, well-being at this time is to actually do something about it and help another. I think because if you feel paralyzed and helpless, it's not good. Um, the joy that you get from helping someone else and feeling that, you know, you've reached out, I don't think anything can beat, uh, beat that for one's own mental health. I know, you know, in, in sort of modern culture, many times say, you know, you have to make yourself happy, but actually nothing makes you happy than the act of giving. You know, I, I know you should look into yourself, but I think the selfishness that has pervaded the world in recent years um, has made us all unhappy. Actually reaching out and helping someone, that's the ultimate uh, prize. That's one. But also in empowering your health um, physically, I think, you know, um, exercise, you know, exercise, walking. I'm not talking, you know, like uh, some of these Instagram accounts where you see people like really getting, uh, you know, <laughs> doing, you know, extreme stuff. No, no, no. You don't have to do that. Those who, you know, I'm not judging, but it does make us all stressed out that we're not having those apps during the pandemic and so on. Uh, but I think, you know, walking, doing daily exercise, whatever exercise that you want to do, you know, it, it certainly, you know, for sure exercise helps you, um, helps your mental health, the endorphins, makes you feel a bit happy and also takes care of your health because, you know, we don't want obesity to rise and also to make sure that we don't consume all these uh, fast food. I know fast food companies, they are, some of them are really benefiting from the pandemic, right? Because they are, they quickly switch. Well, they've always been ready for, for um, sort of uh, remote uh, delivery and so on. So to make sure that you don't fall into that trap as well. The notion that we have both uh, social isolation, but nevertheless, a chance to connect with one another through technology is really, it, it's quite interesting. I mean, it, it's true that we're staying at home, 
and we're limiting our social contact, but all of us on this call are on many of these Zoom calls. And, and so in a way, we remain connected through yes. technology. Yes. And I think, again, that's, that's the wonderful part of technology that we've been able to do that. You know, uh, I've been doing that not only for work. I've also been doing it with friends, uh, with my nieces and nephews all over the world. So that's really fantastic. Um, and I think that, you know, and hopefully these uh, mediums can get better and better, but they're not bad uh, so far. Um, but again, we have to remember not everybody has the chance, not everybody has a computer all over the world or the same connectivity. So this is also something that we hope um, should be made accessible to all, especially uh, at a time at times like this, um, because it's really important uh, to connect and learn. And certainly as the president of UICC, the Union for International Cancer Control, you know, uh, this has really enabled us to be in touch with all our members. And most importantly, we able to connect member with member at a time when nobody knew what to do, right? We were all learning as, as we went along. And, and it was fantastic that we could share that information almost in real time between memberships so that others can learn very quickly of what uh, the cancer community has managed uh, to do in one country uh, so the others can um, you know know what everybody did and i know that our cancer community has really gone out of their way as you know we we experience one of the double burdens of this disease um, the fact that um, uh, you know as a mother of a cancer survivor i cannot imagine for one second having my child being treated for example if you know thankfully i'm a mother of cancer survivor but if this happened to me now the worry of having my child uh, being infected with the virus and on top of it having uh, his uh, treatment services cancelled or delayed you know i cannot imagine the worry um, and the fear and the anxiety of that what would that mean and you know this has happened to the cancer community and and also funding you know i'm hearing you know, like major research institutions uh, trying to find the cure for cancer. Now their funding is cut, for example. Uh, and I, I just read an article in The Lancet today by Richard Horton. A lot of the things that we've been working for are being dismantled in the health community. So you can imagine um, the worry and anxiety and fear um, uh, about that. So at least what we are doing as a union is to quickly transfer practical knowledge um, and how to protect our uh, patients who are still undergoing treatment and at the same time um, how to uh, advocate to make sure that our countries don't forget about us because in certain countries this has happened uh, when all the resources went to the COVID-19 and of course we still have the the ongoing work to you know, really advocate further to say we've been calling for uh, stopping the dichotomy between diseases, you know, um, non-communicable diseases are equally as important as communicable diseases. We are one body after all. We can't, you know, um, we, have to, we have to treat the patient and not the disease. Um, 
And we've been calling it for that for so long, but I think, you know, now we have to really up the ante and really demand because cancer patients cannot be uh, left in this dire strait as they are now all over the world. Clearly, what your, your work is helping people not feel so alone and so anxious, which is critical. But as, as you said, I think with COVID now that we're fast tracking in so many ways where we're going with vaccines and treatment, hopefully we'll be able to use some of those lessons learned and some of those regulatory advances for cancer treatment so that we can work on getting things to patients more quickly. And, and that hopefully be a silver lining to, to this. There are so many silver linings, and I think they will become very powerful if we actually utilize them, Robin, right? Uh, to actually remember those lessons. Um, and, and like you said, a lot of the, imagine a lot of the issues that we had with, for example, COVID-19 was very much uh, to do with implementation on the ground, right? I mean, imagine not having all these uh, protective equipment. I mean, this is a, a piece of equipment that's not sophisticated, not expensive, but it has been a major factor in actually, you know, the lack of it in spreading disease. Um, so it's really the, the other non-medical stuff that has actually delayed um, access to treatment for the COVID. So like you said, if we can learn from that and, you know, how to um, uh, disseminate uh, meds, how to prepare ourselves for plan B, uh, you know, for high-risk uh, situations and so on, I think we can do a lot of good uh, for that. Um, so there are a lot of lessons learned. It's great, but it's a question of actually, you know, what will happen afterwards? What will governments and health ministers and um, leaders actually decide to, uh, to do? We, the global health community, we, we know what needs to be done. We need to implement universal health coverage, for example, to make sure that minorities and people who don't have are actually covered for essential treatment, right? Um, and things like that. You know, we've been very thankful to health workers who have done an amazing job all, of the, all over the world. And I think they've really redefined uh, the meaning of the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, and and was, I'm so grateful to every single health worker all over the world, you know, and, and but then we need governments to who rode on that wave and thanked health workers as well. But they need to actually really look into um, uh, supporting health workers after the crisis with better salaries, better conditions, etc. This is what we need. We don't just need them to pull up signs and say thank you to all the health workers. We need that to translate into something real. Because we do know that health workers have been, and especially mostly are women, by the way, all over the world, they are the least paid. And they are the ones who are laying their down their lives for all of us to protect all of us. So these are the kind of things we can turn a negative into a positive. You know, one of the phrases that comes to mind is that neither the virus nor cancer takes a holiday. Yes. And that, to me, implies that all of us have a responsibility to all those people around us to do whatever we can to prevent them from becoming infected or prevent their cancer care from being interrupted. And, and so in that regard, one hopes for government 
to say, trust us, this is the right way to function. Please put on a mask. Please socially distance. Please wash your hands. Please don't go to places where you may either infect someone or be infected because cancer doesn't take a holiday and nor does the virus. No, no. I was just going to say many of the things you were talking about as prevention for cancer, um, obesity, tobacco, all of these things that hurt your immune system will affect your inability to fight uh, COVID if you are, you know, exposed. So in some ways that is bringing communicable and non-communicable prevention together. And that's a very important point that you've raised. Some of these uh, industries, like tobacco industry, has really uh, capitalized during the pandemic. And I think, especially in countries where there is lack of regulation and implementation of the laws, um, you know, they're going to now even be more aggressive um, in getting people addicted to tobacco because, you know, they've, for a couple of weeks, you know, cigarettes were not as available, shall we say. And so, you know, we worry about that. Um, but yeah, they, you know, the shisha, the smoking um, makes you vulnerable. Again, that's another reminder to all that, you know, tobacco is, has not one good thing about it, right? Uh, it, it makes you vulnerable to all kinds of diseases and now uh, COVID. Cancer does not wait for anyone. That's the thing. Nor, neither the virus. And I think everybody should not be selfish, to be honest. I mean, I'm certainly, you know, uh, I think of my mom, who's 80 years old. And even if I want to, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit relaxing. I still put on a mask. I still wash my hands 10 times a day and so on. But I'm always thinking of my mom. You know, why should she have to suffer a painful uh, infection like COVID and put her at risk? So I think if all the young people all over the world think of their parents, think of their neighbors, think, you know, you cannot be selfish during this virus. Your actions matter. And, and it does work. It does work if you put on a mask and you can, we are minimizing the risk. So I really hope everybody will follow suit um, in this manner. A very important um, uh, empathic and compassionate statement. And Princess, we thank you so much for being on the program. Robin and I greatly appreciate your terrific work, your, uh, your demonstrated compassion for others, your leadership, and we hope to maintain our connections with you as we go forward. Uh, thank you again so much for being on the program. God bless you all. and. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.